Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's a very special episode 36. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man from Brooklyn himself, Mr. Chad Owen. Good evening, Mike. Good, well, I would say good morning to you in a beautiful sunrise across that Manhattan skyline. Chad, we are, this is the first time this show, this is a very, very special type of episode. Why don't you tell our awesome audience what we have in store for them today? Yeah. So if you're just jumping into the Moonshots podcast feed, uh, you're actually jumping into the second episode on on a singular individual. It's the first time we've had to split up an episode, but you won't be surprised to learn that Steve Jobs warrants us taking the time, you know, over the course of two shows to go through. We've got at least two dozen clips uh, between the two shows here. I think the big secret here, Chad, is we've probably got three or four shows, don't you think? <laughs> you know, I'm sure that we will be revisiting Steve uh, and, and wisdom that he's dropped at some point in the future, yeah. uh, in addition to everything that we've discussed yeah. uh, on the last show and have yet to discuss on this show. But um, so before before we kind of do a little bit of a recap and, and get get into the clips, Last show, we, we talked a little bit kind of the, the beginnings and the history of Apple and some of the kind of tactical business uh, activities and, and strategies. What, what have we got on, on today's show, Mike? Well, I think this is a, a, a beautiful companion to the, the previous show because I think we're going to get into sort of the thinking uh, and the philosophies that Steve brought to both Apple and Pixar. And I think What comes out of that was some very special approaches to creating really breakthrough products and services. And I want to remind people that it was, you know, the iPod, iTunes, the iPhone, the iPad, and all of that at Apple. But what is so exceptional about Steve is there was Pixar as well. And the the Apple II and the Macintosh. It goes on and on. But but the truth being that even if you were to judge Steve just by either his accomplishments with Pixar or Apple, either way you cut it, it's great. But the fact that one human was in two places at the same time doing all this magic is truly exceptional. I think, you know, it was a testament to the ad campaign that they had to think different. This was really what we learned in the previous show, that there were these great stories of how he completely outfoxed uh, Disney for for Pixar, how he outfoxed IBM for on, on Apple's behalf. I mean, it was just really phenomenal, and we heard gushing praises from Everyone uh, who's worth something in tech, they they really did see him as uh, not only one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time, but maybe ever. I, just in my research, Chad, I didn't actually get this clip in uh, to any of our shows, but just as an off kind of an offhand comment, Mark Andreessen, who is featured in our show, and he's one of the greatest tech investors in Silicon Valley. He says, look, I, I meet about 1,500 founders a year, and he said nine out of ten say that their inspiration for creating a company was Steve Jobs. Isn't that, mm. isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. I think um, for, I'm a little overwhelmed at the, the number of, of clips and the amount of wisdom that we're getting from Steve. And I, I would actually just encourage 
you, the listener, to pick one or two that resonate most for you and what you're working on right now. Um, that's kind of what I had done with the last show, and and I'm sure I'll end up uh, with this show. There's just because he talks about so many different areas, both of business and creativity and innovation. You know, it, it might be hard to choose just one, but uh, but yeah, I I, I think um, by the end, hopefully, you'll you'll have some favorites. Of course, of course, and I think we would encourage everyone to check out our site moonshots.io because there you can get all the show notes, links, references, follow up material. All sorts of good stuff, but um, I think we're ready to, to have a different kind of introduction uh, to the last show. The last one was great. We had Steve himself reading the the Apple campaign manifesto for the, uh, the crazy ones. This time, we're going to get a bit of a, a smorgasbord, a bit of a showcase of what he accomplished in a lifetime. So let's get our minds ready for the life of Steve Jobs. There is not a single executive or creator in the technology industry more important than Steve Jobs. Born in San Francisco, California on February 24th, 1955, Stephen Paul was adopted by Paul and Clara Jobs shortly after birth. Steve showed a lot of interest in electronics at a young age because his family had moved to Los Altos, California. You had Hewlett Packard around there, you had other emerging companies, and so he was thrown into this mix. During high school, Jobs met Steve Wozniak and the two were hired during summers at Hewlett-Packard. Later, Jobs dropped out of college, but informally continued his education. He wasn't a geek from early on, although he certainly had a high technical expertise. He needed a partner like Steve Wozniak to bring that element to it. But in terms of, of developing himself, he had interests in art and history and all kinds of areas that are highly unusual for someone in his field. In 1976, Jobs and Wozniak started Apple computers from the Jobs family garage. And with the Apple II, they found success. The Apple I computer didn't sell very well. It wasn't really a functional computer that demonstrated a true capability for personal computing. But what they did is they designed the Apple II. That became extremely popular, and within a few years, they were selling over $100 million worth of computers. Apple went public on December 12, 1980, with a value of $1.2 billion its first day, but in the next few years lost its market share to IBM. By 1985, Apple forced Jobs to resign. When Steve Jobs was pushed out of Apple, he picked himself up again pretty quickly. Um, he grabbed the people he, he wanted to be involved in his new company, which was called Next, and they started about building the new company. Jobs purchased a Lucasfilm graphics division, renamed Pixar, in 1986, and worked as the company CEO while still actively developing his computer company, Next. Next Computer was the underpinnings of what was coming next at Apple. Everything that went on at Apple, including the operating system, including the design, had its origins in Next. Apple purchased Next in 1996 and eventually returned Jobs to CEO. His software, called Next Step, evolved into Mac OS X, which led the Apple technology revolution. The iPhone is the single most important device of the modern era. It is the smartphone, which is this all-in-one device. And so it's conceptually, the iPod to the iPhone to the iPad to the what's next has been the most important trend in technology. What Apple really has done has raised the world's awareness of design 
and functionality. People look at these things and they just have to have them. And once they have them, they love them. In 2011, Forbes magazine named Apple the most valuable company in the world. That same year, Jobs resigned as CEO. And on October 5, 2011, Steve Jobs died due to complications from pancreatic cancer. I think Steve Jobs' legacy will be here for a very, very long time. It'll be there at Apple, it'll be at other companies. His legacy is not just the way he ran Apple or the way he developed products. It's a whole slew of different things that he was able to do so effectively that have changed our lives forever. And the, the timeline's so interesting for maybe some of you younger listeners. You may not remember that Steve Jobs wasn't the CEO of Apple for, for 10 years and that he, you know, went on to, to found a, a small little movie production animation studio called Pixar, which yeah. actually IPO'd at a higher valuation than Apple's IPO in, uh, in 1980, I, th I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, and in the same year, the year that uh, that Pixar listed was the same year that Netscape listed, and it was valued higher than Netscape, one of the biggest IPOs. And what back in the day, and now I'm showing my age, is that that when Netscape went IPO, that was the beginning of the first internet bubble. So that's how prolific it was. And in in the midst of all of this, let's just remember. He was an amazing CEO at not only Apple, but, but, but Pixar. But in order to get there, his path was actually getting fired. A founder got fired by one of his employees who convinced the board to fire Steve. Like, that is such a twist. Yeah, but he's, he, he shrugs it off and founds two companies, Next and Pixar, one that goes on to become the behemoth of, of animation yeah. that it is, is today. And, you know, there's this pattern to, to both Pixar and Apple where they seem to have been working on something that turns out uh, to be a brilliant prediction of what's to come. They always, like, you know, you think about it now, animated films, animated feature films, you know, they launched all the time, but, but Pixar were the first and they saw something coming, so they built the technology. We take smartphones for granted and, you know, we, there are successful companies now who are literally built on the principle of mobile first and that starts 2007, iPhone, game changer. And the crazy thing is that they really seem, when you put Pixar and Apple together, one of the big themes here is that they are prescient. They seem to have the ability to be in the right type, uh, right place at the right time. And I think this first clip is really insightful uh, when we listen to Steve telling us about how to have the courage to bet on something big for the future. Apple is a company that has, doesn't have the most resources of everybody in the world. And um, the way we've succeeded is by choosing what horses to ride really carefully, technically. We try to look for these technical vectors that that have a future and that are headed up. And, you know, technology, different pieces of technology kind of go in cycles. They have their, their springs and summers and autumns, and then they, you know, go to the graveyard of technology. And so we try to pick things that are in their springs. And if you choose wisely, you can save yourself an enormous amount of work versus trying to do everything. 
and you can really put energy into making those new emerging technologies uh, be great on your platform rather than just okay because you're spreading yourself too thin. So we have a history of doing that. As an example, uh, we went from the five inch floppy disk to the three and a half inch floppy disk with the Mac. Before, before other people, right? We were the first to do that. We made right. the three and a half inch floppy disk popular. Um, Sony invented it and we, we put it in, in the first products. Um, and there were some good reasons we did that. Uh, we got rid of the floppy disk altogether in uh, to 1998 with the first iMac. We also got rid of these things called serial and parallel ports. And we were the first to, to adopt USB, even though Intel had invented it. You first saw it in, in, in mass on iMacs. And so we have gotten rid of things. We were one of the first to get rid of optical drives with the MacBook Air. And, uh, I, and I think things are moving in that direction as well. And sometimes when we get rid of things like the floppy disk drive on the original iMac, people call us crazy. Um, or at least premature, maybe. No, they call us crazy. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, but sometimes you just have to pick the things that look like they're going to be the right horses to ride going forward. And what if people say, you know, the iPad is uh, uh, crippled in this respect? Well, you know, well, I'd say two things. Number one, things are packages of, of emphasis. Some things are emphasized in a product, some things are not done as well in a product, some things are chosen not to be done at all in a product. And so different people make different choices. And uh, if the market tells us we're making the wrong choices, we listen to the market. I mean, we're, just, we're just people running this company. We're trying to make great products for people. And so we're, we have the, at least the courage of our convictions to say, we don't think this is part of what makes a great product. We're going to leave it out. Some people are going to not like that. They're going to call us names. It's not going to be in certain companies' vested interests that we do that, but we're going to take the heat because we want to make the best product in the world for customers. And we're going to instead focus our energy on these technologies, which we think are in their ascendancy and we think are going to be the right technologies for customers. And you know what? They're paying us to make those choices. That's what a lot of customers pay us to do, is to try to make the best products we can. And if we succeed, they'll buy them. And if we don't, they won't. And it'll all work itself out. I know that that clip is a little old, Mike, but I mean, it's almost as if he could be saying the same thing today, right? No headphone ports? Yeah, what? Totally. Proprietary charging port? What? <laughs> I, I, do you remember the serial and parallel at the back of your computer? I remember those days. Like, it was, oh, my gosh. And, and sometimes we hate them a bit for it. I'm sitting here and I've got one of the, because I've got a brand new MacBook Pro, I've got one of those funny USB-C adapters that, to fit all the things that have the old USB and I'm like cursing them because like why would you build a product that forces me to buy an accessory because you don't have the right ports. But I love these packages of emphasis and, and the courages of, uh, of conviction. They make a call and they go for it. And he's like, I don't know why everyone hates us because in the end if you don't want it, don't buy it. And And if you like it, buy it and everything will work itself out. It's quite funny. But in the end, what for me is a learning in this is, you know, know your business and have the courage of your convictions. Don't hedge. Go, you know, 
get all in on what you believe in. And I think he's, his success only goes to prove to us that that really works. You can't, you know, you can't win being half pregnant. You just got to get all in. Yeah. Well, I think I loved when he said customers pay us to make these sorts of decisions. And I think that's actually a really interesting way for him, you know, to view the market and, and his customers, because I think at the end of the day, you know, people and pop culture kind of look to Apple as a tastemaker um, mm. a- across kind of all categories, you know, both in design and, and, and now, you know, mu- music and the arts and, and everything. Um, I actually think Steve Jobs is quite right there in that you know, he really set a direction for Apple to be a, a very focused technology mm. company. And as you said, use the courage of, of their convictions to make some hard decisions and yeah, alienate some people. You know, he's quite right. Like if you want 16 USB ports and your serial port and your floppy disks, like get a PC, mm. but it's just not mm. going to be as elegant and useful and, and kind of purposeful as a Macintosh would be or an iMac or, you know, the, the products that they're, they're making today. So while I understand the criticism of Apple getting rid of these ports and making things difficult, I think it's well within their design philosophy of we're getting hyper-focused on our products. We're betting on what we believe is going to be the future technologies and, and technologies that are on their ascendancy, not on their way out, right? Like, I mean, how long has US, just regular USB been around? You know, like forever. So like, exactly, exactly. You know? so like, yeah, they're, you know, they're placing big bets on the future. And, you know, at this point, they're a large enough company where they have, I think, an outsized weight and influence on, you know, what, uh, what the future technologies will be. So I, I think it's just very interesting, very interesting that he's like, you know what, customers are going to go elsewhere if, if they don't want it, but they pay us to, to make these decisions. It's, it's, it's kind of baked into the business model. It is, it is. And it reminds me a lot of Jeff uh, Bezos, actually. Bezos has this quote, like, if you never want to be criticized, for goodness sake, don't do anything new. And this is where there's like this direct um, bridge between these two very different entrepreneurs. But I think the lesson is the same. And, And I mean, I just think when you want to push things forward, you've got to be prepared to get a little bit of heat, but you've got to stay the course. You've got to, you know, keep to your convictions. And it's the companies that do that that win because they're often pushing against the status quo or conventional thinking. And I think as any entrepreneur, when they bring something to market, it has to be a radically different approach to solving a big problem. And I think uh, we're learning from Steve here is just have the courage of of your convictions and go out and do that. And I think it's such a powerful way to start thinking about products. But what's interesting is that I think Steve has so much more to offer for, offer us here. I think one of the things that I don't know. Do you notice this? Every time he speaks on a topic, have you noticed that he has a command? He has almost like a thoughtfulness, Chad, on the topics he talks about that is quite exceptional. I mean, it's like he has thought a lot about the things he has to say. You never feel like he's riffing, do you, and off the cuff. No. he's, He's digging in deep and pulling out some really big thoughts. Yeah. And, and many of these innovations just simply take time. You know, if, if 
he's going to, and the team at Apple is going to find those technologies that are in their spring and, and place those bets, they need to, to take the time to research and develop and prototype. He founded Pixar in 1986. I don't think Toy Story came out until like 1994, maybe 1995. Wow. So like there was almost 10 years of research and development to get Toy Story onto the screen. And we have a great clip here from Steve really just talking about his philosophy for this deep thinking that you're, that you're speaking about, Mike. So here's, here's Steve on deep thinking and the value in asking why. You know, throughout the years in business, I found something, which was I'd always ask why you do things. And the answers you invariably get are, oh, that's just the way it's done. Nobody knows why they do what they do. Nobody thinks about things very deeply in business. That's what I found. I'll give you an example. Um, when we were building our Apple Ones in the garage, we knew exactly what they cost. Uh, when we got into a factory in the Apple II days, um, the accounting had this notion of a standard cost, where you'd kind of set a standard cost, and then at the end of a quarter, you'd adjust it with a variance. And I kept asking, well, why do we do this? And the answer was, well, that's just the way it's done. And, and after about six months of digging into this, what I realized was the reason you do it is because you don't really have good enough controls to know how much it costs. So you guess, and then you fix your guess at the end of the quarter. And the reason you don't know how much it costs is because your information systems aren't good enough. So, but nobody said it that way. And so later on, when we designed this automated factory for Macintosh, we were able to get rid of a lot of these antiquated concepts and know exactly what something cost to the second. Um, so in business, a lot of things are, I, I call it folklore. They're done because they were done yesterday and the day before. And so what that means is, is if you're willing to sort of ask a lot of questions and think about things and work really hard, you, you can learn business pretty fast. It's not the hardest thing in the world. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science, no. Not rocket science. Yeah, there's, there's like this almost folksy nature to how he sees business, isn't it, Chad? Uh, I think he does a little bit of a disservice just saying, oh, yeah, you know, like you can study it and like make it happen. Like, I'm sorry, Steve, but not everyone can just do that and found yeah, companies the, like Apple and Pixar. <laughs> yeah, the normal Joe might need a little bit more homework than that. Yeah, but I think his admonition to us to question the way things have been done in the past, that is a trait throughout every single person that we have profiled here from yeah. Jack Ma to Bill Belichick to Lady Gaga to Martha Stewart, the healthy questioning of the way things have been done before. I mean, how else are you going to get to innovation? If, if innovation is something new and novel that creates a positive change in the world, that's my own personal definition of innovation. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, you, you have to question what's come before to, in order to create something new. So I think while he writes off how easy it is to learn business, I, you know, I, I do think that asking why and questioning the way things have been done in the past is, is very effective. And it can be for something as boring as accounting costs for <laughs> manufacturing a, a computer. You know, I think the fact that someone like Steve Jobs is questioning something in that minute detail really just tells you how obsessive he is in asking yes. why and doing this deep thinking. 
Yeah, and just to, to take a tangent just for a moment here, you'll remember that Simon Sinek, like, really transformed a lot of creative industries by his book Start With Why. And do you remember he had a famous YouTube clip and he told his whole why framework with one example. And do you remember which company was the example? I it don't. was Apple. <laughs> I feel like yeah, that was a leading question. It was <laughs> Apple. It was Apple. So asking why uh, is not only something that worked for Steve, but this whole paradigm of people are moved not by what you do, but far more so how you do it and why you do it. So mission and vision are particularly important in a world where there's so many copycat products. Why is it that Warby Parker continues to thrive despite its competitors, Airbnb and so on and so forth? It's because they have great emissions that build affinity and and give people a sense of purpose when they participate with your products and with your brand. And I think no company, maybe Nike, but Nike and Apple are alone in the universe for brands that make people feel better for being part of the experiences, participating in the services, using the products. And this all comes from that central thought that starts with their products and they ask you know why is it done this way how can it be done better what would be a radically better way but you can't get away with just asking why and i think what's so powerful about steve is he what he pointed out in that earlier clip chat i think is something very important for us is it like they make big bets on the future and they have the courage to follow through their convictions but there's a little nuance here and this next clip Steve starts to touch on this idea of focus and how we can actually gain focus and the role that that has to play in creating breakthrough new products. So let's have a listen to Steve Jobs. Apple suffered for several years from, no, from lousy engineering management, I, I have to say it. And there were people that were going off in 18 different directions doing arguably interesting things in each one of them. Good engineers, lousy management. And what happened was you look at the, the, the farm that's been created with all these different animals going in different directions, and it doesn't add up. It, the, the, the total is less than the sum of the parts. And so we had to decide what are the fundamental directions we're going in and what makes sense and what doesn't. And there were a bunch of things that didn't. And microcosmically, they might have made sense. Macrocosmically, they made no sense. And, you know, the hardest thing is, you, when you think about focusing, right, you think, well, focusing is, is saying yes, no. Focusing is about saying no. Hmm. I think, I think that is enough for us. Like, focusing is saying no. I think we can, uh, <laughs> we can just take that advice and, uh, and run with it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, saying no is such a liberating thing. And I think a lot of companies find themselves in trouble for trying to do too much. And I would say this is a parallel to what we see in products trying to do too much, right? Yeah. And, and paradoxically, it's kind of antithetical to this idea of entrepreneurship and innovation and in ingenuity. But I think this is 
this is how this is how Steve kind of bridles his genius is in this focus of saying no, mm. because I'm sure he had so many more ideas yeah. than what we've actually seen turn into products and services. Yeah. So it's actually by putting that that filter damper on it yep. that we're actually able to get the things that we've seen. I, yeah. I mean, I need to take this advice. Like this, the focus is saying no, I think is something that all of us that are right. that are starting our companies, building our products, yeah, it's just... Um, we don't Will do you, it enough. Exactly. And you'll remember that we were talking about, uh, do you remember I was telling you the story of the peanut butter manifesto at Yahoo uh-huh. and how they had spread themselves, you know, too, too wide, that there wasn't enough peanut butter to cover the whole sandwich and there were weaknesses appearing and so forth. I, you know, I think this is really good. I mean, actually, I, this whole idea of focus, setting priorities is one thing, but it's um, reducing it down to just a few and doing them exceptionally well. And how many times do you see companies getting into businesses and you think, why are they doing that? Or products, the new product comes out and it does all these other things at the sacrifice of the functionalities that they should have stuck to. And, I mean, a case in point for me would be if you take the Amazon Kindle what a great example of just focus and saying no. If I look at the iPad, I think they have never, ever fallen off their focus of what a great consumption uh, device with a light bit of input that is has a real reason for being. And I can tell you, I was very skeptical when the iPad came out. I couldn't see the use case. And uh, Chad, right now, I use this thing every single day for work, for personal use. And again, my, my thing here is they had ex- this, they bet on the future, they'd thought deeply about it, and then once they had made their choices, boy, they kind of grasp onto them with an iron fist and don't let go. And I think that's very powerful for anyone building a product or building a company. Hold on to it. And, and don't be distracted because if there was ever a time in the world where there's distractions, it's now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it certainly kind of for the solo uh, entrepreneurs and solo founders out there, I don't think you can have priorities. I think you have one priority. Oh, and, yeah. And I, that's what I'm taking away kind of from this message from Steve. I mean, you know, when when he was working at Apple, there were many different teams across many categories, you know, like the pro line of hardware and pro software and consumer software. And IT. so I think each of those business units probably only had one priority. So, so that's how Apple was able to do multiple products. But I think, you know, especially if you're a smaller team, you really just have to do one thing. Yeah. And that's it. Like yeah. you can't even have multiple priorities. Yeah. You, just like you've got to you've got to do that one thing otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to make the the impact uh that you're seeking to make yeah and i i would share a personal story here i worked in a at a company in san francisco that had so much potential but was just trying to do way too many things and the the lesson i took from that in my next company and 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 after that was acquired my new company it's all about this the art of focusing and saying what's really matters right now and sticking to it 
uh, and not being distracted. And it's so easy to get into adjacent businesses almost half asleep and you wake mm. up and go, oh, geez, we've got a business here, but geez, it's a bit distracting and we're not focused on the core business. I think there's a lot, a lot to that. And do you know what's really powerful, Chad, is that, you know, as much as Steve is focused on Apple, he does cast his eye around the world. And we have this hilarious clip coming up. And it's actually Mike Parker, who's the CEO of Nike. And he's recounting this call that he got from Steve Jobs. And if you want an example of Steve Jobs uh, uh, emphasizing to someone focus, saying no, and, you know, focusing on what really matters. This next clip is perfect. So let's have a listen now to Nike CEO, Mike Parker, recounting his conversation with Steve Jobs uh, and getting some timely advice. You mentioned last night when we were having dinner that when you first got the, the job as CEO, you got a call from Steve Jobs and he offered you some advice. <laughs> well, he didn't call to offer me advice, but uh, so we had worked together on uh, a Nike-Apple collaboration called Nike Plus. So we took what Apple knows, what Nike knows, and you know, brought a new technology to the market. Anyway, long story short, uh, he said, hey, congratulations, it's great, you're going to do a great job. Uh, I said, well, do you have any advice? And he said, no, no, you're, you're, you're great. And then there was a pause, and he goes, well, I do have some advice. He goes, Nike makes some of the best product in the world. I mean, product that you lust after, absolutely beautiful, stunning product. But you also make a lot of crap. He said, just get rid of the crappy stuff and focus on the good stuff. And then I expected a little pause and a laugh, but there was, there was a pause but no laugh at the end. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. And in fact, that's one of, been, one of my major uh, focal points in terms of my priorities as a, as a CEO, and, and even as a designer when I was growing up at the company, is to edit. I mean, we have so many ideas. Nike is an idea factory. Mm, yeah, coming back to saying no, and again, I think Steve Jobs is kind of the lead editor inside of Apple that, I mean, he even said in our last show that his, his main job is to, is to go and meet with teams. Yes. And I'm sure kind of look around the room, take all the ideas and pick the one idea, yeah, you know, the best idea in that group and say, focus on that, do that. But don't you think it's hilarious? I think there's probably only one person in the world that can ring up the Nike CEO and say, Dude, stop making the crap. Just stick to the good stuff. And it's so funny, Parker, like, readily admits, yeah, well, we kind of did it and it worked. <laughs> now you yeah. find that just brilliant. Like, this guy was fearless in many ways, wasn't he? Yeah. It, it was also, you can hear Steve Jobs through Mike Parker. The, the way that Mike Parker tells the story, like, those are Steve's words yeah. you know, coming out of his mouth. The way he's talking about, you know, like, you make some of the best product the most beautiful, you know, well-designed product, but some of it is like, that's, again, it's kind of the, the harsh critic, maybe the, a little rub you the wrong way critic, you know, to right. some, yeah, sure yeah. Of Apple, but like, yeah, that is definitely who he was and what he did. And I think his greatest value to the company was his ability, not only to edit himself, but to help others edit themselves. Yeah. And, and it all flows from this one place, like, it's pretty simple and that is like we, we love a product that is elegant and delights us 
um, that helps us get jobs done, that surprises us. It almost feels a little bit magical. And the thing we hate more than anything is getting home, unpacking the box, trying to make the thing work and realizing, you know, that feeling, Chad, oh, my gosh, I think I've just bought a big piece of crap here. (laughs) This is just not going to work. Have you ever had that? I mean, it just, right? Yeah, you definitely get what you pay for. And it, this idea of editing is, I'm sure there are so many products that have gotten to the cusp of release to the public and were killed at the last minute inside of Apple because something didn't work. It wasn't right. The customer experience wasn't going to be perfect. Oh, I have an example. I have an example. Yeah. What's that? Um, well, do you remember the, the HomePod uh, came out half a year late? the mm. Apple speaker because they couldn't get it right. And I'll tell you another one. There's one currently, the Apple wireless charger, which they actually showcased, has never launched. And I believe he showed that, I don't want to say it's a year ago, uh, but they said it would re- launch this year. Uh, they showed it last year, if I get it right, it's called Air Power or something. And mm-hmm. I would love one because it's a, wireless dock that does your your iPhone X, your Apple Watch, your AirPods, all of which products I own, and it would charge them all simultaneously at one time. And the rumor is that they can't get it to evenly distribute power to to each of the, the three devices simultaneously. It was, uh, I'm looking here, it was announced September 27, uh, 17, and so we are coming up almost on a year and we ain't got nada. And I think that's so true. Just do not release a half-baked product because you really only get one chance to do it right. And and starting from a from a fail almost is impossible to come back from. And and I just love that Apple um, hold themselves to that level because there's just so few companies that truly hold themselves to that that level. I think Dyson, the the vacuum manufacturer, is one. Can you think of any other companies that? you've come across in life, maybe Patagonia, that just ship good product every single time? Yeah, I think you know, BMW comes to yes, mind. that's a good one. Um, I think Belkin, the accessories maker, tends to get it right most of the time, don't they? Yeah. I mean, th- there's a few out there. Uh, Bose, I think, is another. But think about it. Um, Chad, we're, we're like, we're going to get maybe to 10 or 12 companies. That's it <laughs> in the universe yeah. that we can truly go, yeah, they always ship good stuff. So, yeah. well, and we've got a great clip from Steve, really uh, kind of reinforcing uh, what we've been talking here about really just getting the product right. <laughs> I can tell you what our goal is. Our goal is to make the best personal computers in the world and to make products we are proud to sell and would recommend to our family and friends. And we want to do that at the lowest prices we can. But I have to tell you, there's some stuff in our industry that we wouldn't be proud to ship, that we wouldn't be proud to recommend to our family and friends. And we can't do it. We just can't ship junk. So there's... There's a, there are thresholds that we can't cross because of who we are. And what you'll find is our products are usually not premium priced. You go, you go and price out our competitors' products, and you add the features that you have to add to make them useful, 
And you'll find in some cases they are more expensive than our products. The difference is we don't offer stripped-down, lousy products. You know, We just don't offer categories of products like that. But if you move those aside and compare us with our competitors, uh, I think we compare pretty favorably. And a lot of people have, have been doing that and saying that now for the last uh, 18 months. Yeah. The way he, he, he sets that up for me is like, I want to make stuff that I can recommend to family and friends. And it's, it, it's simple, but if we all thought about the, the things that we create as things that they speak so much about us, so we should take enormous pride in them and have the self-discipline not to ship junk and so many times uh, you you open an app and you're like oh my gosh did they not think about this functionality or you you get back from the store and things are clunky and unthought through and what's really interesting is you know often apple is is criticized for being so expensive but i think he makes a really good point once you sort of fix subpar products to actually behave and perform at a certain standard, the the Apple product doesn't doesn't look so bad in terms of affordability. And the, I tell you, the one thing, Chad, that goes for all my Apple products, especially iPads and MacBook Pros, is they last forever. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm seven, seven years into uh, my MacBook Pro that I'm recording with you on here today. It's, I think, tri- you know, lasted three times longer than any of my previous computing products in my entire life. And I've been using computers, you know, before I could walk. Yeah, that's an epic seven years. I, I recently got um, upgraded um, uh, through work and, um, you know, it's a little bit better and it's, you know, the MacBook is like maybe two or three years on from my old one, but I even sometimes get on my old one and I'm really quite happy and I notice a little bit of a difference, but nothing that significant. And when you think about what you and I create on our laptops for this show, for our work, if you think about all the things that it performs and you amortize the three or four thousand, five thousand dollars, whatever it is, if you work it out on a per day basis, you're paying 50 cents a day or something ridiculously low like this. Like it's really yeah, it's a no brainer. I mean, could you imagine the ROI on the seven years of your MacBook Pro? I mean, that is like that is the gold standard for high quality product. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars from from my I think I paid thirty five hundred dollars for this machine. You, you know, yeah. So it's, that is ROI. it's insane. I don't yeah, but I wanna I wanna go back to this idea of we have standards, is what Steve Jobs said. So how can we as as creators, Mike, like how do we go about setting a bar? You know, and how do we keep ourselves accountable to not shipping something that doesn't, you know, go above that threshold? This is a very interesting idea that I haven't thought of kind of literally in that way, but just kind of thinking about it now, it's like, you know, if I'm telling and sharing stories, I think the bar for me is that I need to see, I need to see an emotional reaction and, and change or shift in, in the audience that I'm sharing the work with, um, yeah, that's if it's, it's not doing that. Yeah. 
then it's not like it's not worth shipping. Um, yeah. I, w- what is that for you? And I and and how would you go about setting that bar and kind of holding yourself accountable to that? Because I think that that's the lesson I'm taking away from this. Don't you know we don't ship junk uh, clip from Steve? Yeah. So. I, I think about that in in a in a interesting way. So I I frame and I attempt to and once again I say this as a humble student of life who fails more than I succeed. I just try the thing that makes me feel good is when I do something that has an aha in it for whoever is the recipient. So if, you know, earlier this evening, I was coaching, doing some one-on-one skills coaching with a very good rugby player and I was really mindful, okay, um, this guy has played semi-professional rugby and I have an obligation. He's spending 90 minutes to train with me and to get my coaching. I need to give him something. Like I feel an obligation to make it worth his while. Just like if I'm making this podcast, I got to find one thing for a listener. I got to find one thing for you, Chad, that makes you go, hmm, that's really cool. I hadn't thought of it like that. I feel like everything I do, every meeting that I have, I'm looking for um, a gift for the person on the other side. For me, that's the standard. And it's, it's not only on the, on the podcast, but I think that equally goes, I would even apply that to both my son and my wife. Every time we're doing something together, I want it to be enjoyable or meaningful or something that is a gift in it, whether it's, you know, um, good advice for my son or just supporting my wife as she renovates our house. It doesn't really matter. To me, that's standards. It's when you allow yourself Mm. mediocrity and say, geez, what did I actually contribute of recent? And when you can't answer that question, uh, that's when you're in trouble. Uh, So I think of this podcast as like, look, if someone can listen to this and out of 60 minutes, one of those minutes helps them do a bit better today in the office, for me, that's a standard. That's a win. And maybe we can get that up to two aha moments or three or four, but at least one. I think that's the most practical. I think that's the most meaningful standard because you can just apply it to everything. Mm. Yeah. You're really kind of touching on this idea that author Adam Grant writes about in his book, Give and Take. Yes. Um, This idea. Excellent. I'm, I'm absolutely of the same mindset that I think we are all, yeah. as a society, better off with that giving mindset and being sure that we're providing value and insight for others and know that, you know, it's going to come back around in some way, shape or form in the karmic universe. Yeah, totally. Uh, but that, that's, yeah, that's really the way, but I, I, the, the way to go. I think we can all just try and say, can I do something in this conversation or this meeting or this moment? or in this activity that really contributes, you know, people talk about creative value or impact, however you want to frame it. But for me, it's as simple as if someone has a business meeting with me or listens to a podcast or does rugby training with me, regardless of that format, whoever was in that with me, I do what I can. I attempt to create some tangible value, some uh aha 
some thing that takes them further, that grows them, that develops them, that helps them, that gets them along the way to their mission. And as a standard, then from, you know, it all is good in the world. If you just do it one time every meeting, even if you think about those interactions over a week, that could be like 10 good deeds in the week. And, you know, last time I checked, there's 52 weeks in the year. So that sort of compounds, you know, really really nicely. So I think it's a st- this idea of having a standards, don't ship junk, don't accept mediocrity. And, you know, the, the PC world was full of mediocrity and Steve took it from this beige box of boring, cheap and nasty to almost luxury products, things that are coveted. Mm. And, and by the way, your MacBook Pro is seven years on the job with a phenomenal ROI. That to me is pretty much all you need to know about innovation. That's like, I remember those old Dell PCs used to laugh. You remember in the like late nineties, early 2000s, you would have like a, a win 2000 machine for a year, maybe 18 months. And then the thing would just like, just, yeah, my, my, my high school college years were real rough. I think I always had at least two computers because one would always <laughs> always be acting <laughs> up or breaking down, needing to uh, be repaired. It, both, the, you know, the ones that I built myself and also the ones, you know, I, yeah, I had some Dell Inspirons. I had some HP laptops. Yeah, yeah they were just... Do you remember the days when you had atrocious. to defrag the hard drive all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I think I was reformatting my entire machine and reinstalling Windows up on about a monthly basis. Oh my gosh! Uh, it was. It was that. Bad. Oh my gosh! Uh, so, Mike, we've done six clips on innovation, and we have still some clips to come. Maybe the best to come, Chad. I'm honestly. What, yeah. What do you What do you think about kind of doing a little bit of a lightning round? where we play these clips and kind of just choose our one favorite part of the clip and, and how we, uh, you know, how we're going to yeah. take this inspiration from Steve and maybe yeah. apply Cause we, we've got some great clips, but you know, we're, we could probably punt and, and do even yet a third show, as you said on <laughs> Steve, but, uh, I really want to, I okay. really want to deliver okay. the goods here in this. No, that's probably really good advice for us, Chad, because, we got some big ones. We've got Larry Ellison, the founder of Oracle, coming in with some thoughts. We got Steve himself, and it's very, it's very much on the philosophies and how he, how he approached life, not just work, but how he approached life. I just want to mention here, look, obviously this, this idea of having courage to, you know, bet on the future, to think deeply about that and to just be resilient and focusing on what really matters was absolutely the theme of how they built these amazing products at both Apple. No. What? And saying no. Oh, yeah. It's all about that <laughs> no with a big capital N. Um, so that, that sets us up. Okay, we got the product. We know how the, from the last show the business strategy and the history. What's truly remarkable about Steve is these next four clips. Because the way in which he had thought about the world and saw the world, there's some really big stuff coming. And and you were very lucky and you you actually got hold of some of his most powerful speeches ever. And you've handpicked one or two. So do you want to set this up and roll us in? Yeah, he gave a commencement speech to Stanford in 2005, I believe it was. And 
you know, kind of his famous, uh, some of his most famous words are, are from that, but it, it's, it's, it's a great speech. He tells just really three simple stories. And this story is kind of his time at Reed College and how that experience, you know, he was a dropout and whatnot, but eventually, you know, things worked out for him and, uh, and we'll hear, I'll just let him tell the story. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. Hmm. Curiosity. Ah, uh, geez. I, I kind of, don't even get me started on that one. I, I believe that curiosity is the passport to thinking differently. Uh, that's what I take from this. And, um, you know, life's experiences that you get from that curiosity can just come back in the most unexpected and delightful ways. And, well, I mean, talk about uh, you know, a tip of the hat to the well-rounded Renaissance man. I mean, this is this is just brilliant, don't you think? Yeah, I think this is kind of a, a precursor to this idea that's become popular more recently of deliberate practice. Steve's saying here, you know, follow your curiosity and go deep into your passions and trust that yeah. that exposure and experience will come together in the end. And yet there's like a little bit of blind faith in that too. You know, he's like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You just have to trust they all connect looking backwards. Um, yeah. That's, that's really what I'm taking away here. Uh, yeah. Is, you know, in, in the ways that your passion for rugby and coaching and mentoring, I'm sure info informs the way you uh, lead and manage inside your company and work with clients. Like, you know, it's all, it, it's all related um, we oh, just kind of yeah. have to trust that, oh, yeah. you know, we're really going deep in, in what we love and being open to applying it to our business, um, that, that it's all going to work out. Yeah. 
Well, you did that when you you pivoted and switched your uh, your college yeah. degree and totally yeah, flipped I it, was, didn't you? Yeah, I was hardcore math and science for so many years. Yeah, until you know, I you was. Said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a filmmaker, and then uh, yeah, I've been a storyteller ever since. Yeah, and you know, you don't get to where you are now if you don't put in a little a bit of elbow grease. Yes, there's the curiosity. Yes, but it takes yes, it a does. little bit of hard work as well, don't you think? I think that, you know, you've got to just throw yourself at it. And um, actually, you know, it's so funny that uh, the founder of Oracle, Larry Ellison, was actually the the neighbor of Steve Jobs in Silicon Valley. And he has these thoughts that he's going to share with us in this next clip, which is all about that hard work uh, that was so signature to Steve Jobs. You know, Edison had this comment, you know, it's, it's 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Steve was a god of perspiration. I mean, Steve worked incredibly hard. It wasn't just his intellectual gifts, which were enormous, but how he took that horsepower and applied it tirelessly until the entire problem was solved. I've never seen anyone like that. But was there something different about his ability to focus or... Was it this control freak thing or what? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about Pixar. You know, and, and Steve was my best friend for about you know, 25 years. I think we knew him for about the same, you know, mm-hmm. same length of time. Uh, very interesting how we met. We were neighbors in Woodside. and His peacock wandered onto my property and woke me up. <laughs> Not the way to start a relationship in a friend. <laughs> his girlfriend had given him a peacock, and I came over to complain about the peacock, said, you don't like that bird either, huh? <laughs> It's not that he just put in the hour. If he had to stay up all night, if he had night after night after night, I would get, he would call me up and say, Larry, let's get together. You know, we saw each other a lot. And I'd draw, he'd come over to my house. I'd go over to his house. I said, see, I'm not coming over if you make me watch Toy Story again. I've watched 73 different versions of Toy Story. Now, I know the new version of Render Man is 4% better than the one I saw last week but I'm not watching this thing again. So Larry, you, gotta see, you, you won't believe the, sh- the different the shadows look. <laughs> but that was Steve until it was perfect. Hmm, that's really funny. I had no idea that Larry Ellison was kind of a, a test audience for Toy Story. Uh, what, what's with the peacock stories? I mean, do you know anyone that owns a peacock? I mean, what is this? I, I grew up next to a park that had peacocks, so I'm very familiar with the uh, the annoying calls oh, yeah. of peacocks. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, don't they make incredibly annoying sounds? Oh, where? Oh, where? Oh, don't, 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 don't. Um, but but you know you know this clip does one thing though. While you're reminiscing on peacocks, uh, let me just jump in here for a second and say, hard work, hard work hard work. Um, We've had this big theme on the show where people think everything is like Instagram or WhatsApp. It's like two years and you make a couple of billion. Uh Uh-uh, baby. Almost every single person has talked about years, if not decades of hard work before real success comes. And what's so great is that Steve, yes, he was smart, but he was prepared to work hard and right to the end, like, get it right. Don't ship junk, ship perfection. And uh, I love that Larry called this out, don't you? Mm-hmm. It, like the, the perspiration, you know, up, up 
applying the genius of Steve Jobs, I think that is kind of an assured way to success. Like, yes, you can be in the right place at the right time. Like the people building Instagram and the people building WhatsApp, like did like they were in the right place at the right time. You know, that, 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 Mm -hmm. yes, they worked hard and, and, and they, and they built good or interesting product, but I would argue that they're even much better and more useful to today than, than they were kind of, you know, when they had their bit, their big acquisitions. Yeah. But what, what Steve did was like, he's kind of guaranteeing the success by just working harder at it than everyone else. Yeah. Because here's the truth, Chad, most people don't work hard. And then you compile that. They don't work on things that they love. They don't work hard. And before you know it. They don't work focused. Yeah, exactly. I do want, I know this is meant to be a lightning round, but let me diverge for one second. This (laughs) reminds me of, do you remember, you know, the meme that goes around about once a year about here are the 10 things that don't require talent, Mm -hmm. right? And so I do want to just introduce this though, because I know Steve Jobs had a brilliant mind, but it there was so much about just focus and hard work here. And and this is this is like people who win do these things. Like, and this is the famous meme: ten things uh, that don't require talent but will guarantee success: being on time, work ethic, effort, body language, energy, attitude, passion, being coachable, doing extra, being prepared. If you do these things, it is so much, so much of what success is about. So don't be mistaken for a moment if you're listening to the show thinking, oh, you just have to be some talismanic person like Steve Jobs. Uh Uh-uh. Hard work, focus, make some choices and run with it. I mean, these are the themes that are coming back. It's not just be brilliant, is it? Mm-hmm. It's funny, that list that you read off, it sounded kind of like my experience in the Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> it's like almost right. the, uh, the, the motto there. I would tell you this is, uh, I could take this and apply it to the office, to the rugby field, you name it, to scouts. It's, it's like go to Dale Carnegie and his great books. If you look at most uh, self-help, self-improvement books that cover themes like this. Yeah. And I think the personal anecdote, anecdotiness of this clip is really telling because here's two founders of billion dollar companies that when they get together, (laughs) Steve's like, no, 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 no. Like, I really want to show you the latest cut of this movie that we've been working on for seven years. And Larry's like, Steve, just like, you're killing yeah, yeah. me. Can't we just like have a drink together or can't we just get a good meal or something? You know, it's just like, <laughs> but all, yeah, that's all he wanted to do is just show him the latest cut because he was that obsessed with yeah. making it the best that it could be. Yeah. But you, you know, the, the, the other thing that comes back time and time again on our show is, you know, having courage and being relentless, putting yourself out there. You know, I think about, the choice that Branson made to go and get a chalkboard and walk around saying 25 quid return flight to this island when when the BA flight was cancelled, you know, you have to not only have leaps of faith but you just have to jump into the unknown and this next clip from Steve is all about, you know, what most people don't do uh, is they don't take these leaps of faith because they're scared of what will happen. And this is his advice to people who face that moment. Now, I've actually always found something uh, to be very true, which is um, most people don't get those experiences because they never ask. 
Uh, I've never found anybody that didn't want to help me if I asked them for help. I always call them up. I called up, um, this will date me, but I called up Bill Hewlett when I was 12 years old. And he lived in Palo Alto. His number was still in the phone book. And he answered the phone himself. He said, yes? He said, hi, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm 12 years old. I, I'm a, a student in high school, and I want to build a frequency counter. And I was wondering if you had any spare parts I could have. And he laughed, and he, he gave me the spare parts to build this frequency counter, and he gave me a job that summer in Hewlett-Packard working on the assembly line, putting nuts and bolts together on frequency counters. He got me a job in the place that built them. And I was in heaven. And I've never found anyone who said no or hung up the phone when I called. I just asked. And when people ask me, I try to be as responsive, you know, to pay that, that debt of gratitude back. Um, most people never pick up the phone and call. Most people never ask. And that's what separates sometimes the people that do things from the people that just dream about them. you gotta, you got to act. And you've got to be uh, willing to uh, fail. You've got to be willing to crash and burn, you know, with people on the phone, with starting a company, with whatever. If you're afraid of failing, uh, you won't get very far. Ouch. That one, that one kind of hits me personally just kind of where i'm at right now in my business <laughs> it's just because i could i can i can feel you get that physical sensation of oh i don't want to do it i don't want to do that i don't want to make that call i don't want to send that email i don't want to you know i don't yeah. want to approach that client or prospect <laughs> yeah i'm taking that, yeah. that one to heart here today yeah well that's that's the power of the advice isn't it don't just don't be afraid. And, you know, you'll remember when we talked about risk in our live Bucharest show, um, our guest, Ewan Jakob, was just saying, you know, risk is not what you think it is. And, you know, there's those devices. Remember those devices he, he, he gave us on how he's not afraid to fail? He's like, well, well what's the risk really? I mean, what's the worst that could happen mm -hmm. here? And the fact that you're alive now means you've taken risk before and survived. So what? You know what's to lose. Yeah. I will tell you. I will tell you that that um, I have found when you have that feeling, the quicker you jump into action and and get over it, the better. When I was seventeen, I rang one of the best radio stations in the city and said, "I'll come and and intern every school holidays and work for free." And they were like, "Really?" And I, went, "Yep." And do you know what? Oh, everyone said to me when I was 17, I can't believe you're 17 and you're working on like the coolest radio station in town. And n no one had rung up and asked, <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when I, when I look back in life, there are these moments where you just like, go for it, just go for it. You'll be alive after whether it works or not. But, but there's this, this, this thought, which is like, like the weight of regret is 10 times that of failure. Mm. And I have always found that a very powerful thought. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny. Like Steve's inspiring me to kind of revisit this book I read quite some time ago called the five second rule where kind of a way to overcome this. It, it's, it's, you don't need to read the book. It, this is the book here. It's just when you're faced with that gut feeling of, Ooh, I don't want to do that. Or, or I'm afraid you just mm -hmm. count down from five four, three, two, one, and you say go out loud. You don't have to count out loud, but you say go out loud and then you just do it. You yeah. do whatever that thing yeah. is that you didn't want to do and it kind of, you know, hacks your brain to just, to just 
yeah, to just do it. Oh yeah. And, 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 um, I have found in my life that when I've had this feeling, sheesh, I really got to do that thing. I now have enough failures when I've had that feeling and not acted on it that I can't bear that feeling anymore. Cause I'm like, Oh, premonition. I know it's going to get so much worse if I don't do this. So being afraid to fail, you know, jumping off and making those calls, doing those things or just doing hard things, you know, things that we're like, ugh, I don't really want to do that. Just like remember what happens when you, you know, when you defer. Yeah. Well, it just always comes back to get you, doesn't it? Yeah. And speaking of failures, like how about getting kicked out of the company that you founded? Uh, oh, I mean, that's the thing here, right? Yeah. He he got he he got booted out of Apple and had ten year sabbatical. I think exile. is the best way to call it. It was an exile in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a what a dramatic story. I mean, talk about the hero's journey. I mean, this is right up there, isn't it? Yeah, and going back to Steve's uh, commencement speech here with this last and final clip, he frames it as one of the best things that happened to him. This kind of builds on his, his clip of, you know, you can only connect the docs going backwards. Like, you know, so of course he's going to say that because he had this kind of triumphant return and, and turnaround of Apple afterwards, but he really leaned into the freedom that he had after getting fired from Apple. And so here's T here's, here's Steve talking about taking that freedom and not settling uh, even after arguably the worst thing in his career that ever happened had, had, had just taken place. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. And so at 30, I was out, and very publicly out. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, and I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current renaissance. And Lorene and I have a wonderful family together. I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometime life, sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. Mm hmm. 
Steve Jobs bringing it in for the commencement speech. I mean, pretty wise old reflections and, you know, pretty humble really when you think of how the likes of, you know, Elon and uh, what's the T-Mobile CEO, all these guys running around. Nobody comes close to the impact of Steve, but I thought that was pretty candid and and some powerful reflections like don't settle for okay in life. Don't settle for stuff that's just moi. Like go for it. Follow your dreams. And, and, and Chad, I the way I process this is live the life that you dream of. Live the life that you sit there dreaming on the bus, on the train, in the car or walking to work, if you're dreaming of a way life should be, I would just encourage everyone to do everything in their power to make that a reality and not just a dream. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of take maybe a little more stoic view on it and kind of living <laughs> each day as if it were my last. I, mean, I some sometimes I'm good at that, and some and sometimes I not I'm I'm not. Um, yeah, but. As my business has transformed over the last 10 years, I think it is very much a, a gradual discovery and uh, reinvestment into the parts of the business that I really love, the activities mm. that I love, the clients that I love, the creative mm. partners that I love, you know, which includes you, Mike. Uh, hey, right back at you. It's, uh, yeah, it's it, in, in a way too, it, it, it's kind of like that focusing, you know, it's like, hey, Say no to the things that you don't love. Do the things that you do love, and you know you might make a you might make a good run of it. And that that's that's what this last clip from Steve is 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 yeah. Me. And what's so remarkable, Chad, is this is a guy who pulled off killer strategies for the Pixar IPO. This is the guy that knows when to partner instead of bill. Who sees the market? Who loves companies to be run by ideas? This is a guy who rings up the Nike CEO and says, dude, stop making the crap stuff. Um, this is quite remarkable. I mean, we filled two shows and we Almost still have a bucket. Almost 50 minutes here. <laughs> yeah, and we've got stuff that we couldn't get into this show. I, I mean, it's just I encourage everyone to go back to moonshots.io and keep, re keep revising, revisiting, and looking through these insights to work out which ones work for you. And as you're doing that, the good news is we've got two more Apple episodes coming up, Chad. What do you think? I think it's about time that we look at uh, next week. I think we need to look at Mr. Tim Cook, the current CEO of Apple, who's overseen some of the greatest profits in American corporate history. Is he merely an operator or is he an innovator? I don't know. We'll have to wait for the next episode to find yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think um, to bring this all together as a little uh, taster of what's to come, I think we're going to pull together a couple of thoughts from each of our Apple executives. So, you know, we've, as Johnny we mentioned, Ivan. we've got Jonathan Ive. Yep. Yeah. Angela Ardent, Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, Tim. We're going to kind of create a, an ensemble, the best of Apple, uh, as a sort of innovators toolkit for for the for the episode after Tim Cook. So there's 
plenty of good stuff coming down the pipe uh, for all our listeners. And, um, oh, I do want to, I do, I think we should mention this. I think, we're, are you still up for doing uh, after our Apple series, the Hot or Not Innovators show where we make the showdown, uh, Chad? You still up for that? Yeah. Yeah. We've still got things like biggest innovation failures and kind of some innovation writers. Yeah. We've got some great series planned coming up. And we'll, we'll have some, uh, some more guests that I'm working on to join the show. And for the hot or not show, we got Tesla. Facebook, Twitter, WeWork, and Microsoft are going to come under the microscope. In your mind, Chad, Tesla, Facebook, Twitter, WeWork, Microsoft, has there been any movements that you're seeing that might sway you on the hot or not side of things? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of in um, tech hype fatigue here. Oh, okay. okay. I think we have to put like crypto or Bitcoin or something on that list too. Oh, that's that a good be, one. That's that a good one. A whole episode in and of itself, uh, or that might be yeah. too controversial. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say this. I think uh, Facebook uh, have got themselves out of a little bit of hot water that they were in at the beginning of the year. However, I'm not so sure or good about WeWork and Tesla. I think some pretty big question marks. Maybe even storm clouds yeah, are I, above those two companies. They're making big bets. You know, whether they're going to yeah. pay off or not kind of remains to be seen. True indeed. True indeed. So there's so much to come. The next show, obviously, Tim Cook, lots to go into there. And he's, you know, I mean, wow. There's so much to get into with that. We've learned so much from Steve Jobs. What would you like all of our listeners to do as we go on this journey together, Chad? What's your call to action for them? Say no to the things that you don't love. Boom shakalaga. I think that's a great way to end the show. So there you have it. The wisdom in the last two shows from Mr. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Inc. and CEO of Pixar and just general legend. So much inspiration, so much wisdom. Chad, I want to thank you. It's been a cracker of a show, and you sound very perky when we do the call in your morning, so we might stay here <laughs> for perky, Chad. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, you know, I, I reserve my mornings for all of my creative activities. Um, I can feel that. So, we, yeah, we may have to... Uh, may have to, to work work on the on the schedule here that's okay i can do the late night shift that's no problem that's no problem it will be better when i have my studio in my house uh which is being renovated at the moment but for now i am the sole inhabitant of the office so uh, i got the run of the place so i can do all sorts of crazy stuff uh here at the office but thank you again uh it's this was really fun to to do uh steve jobs i learned a ton and i'm so curious to what we're going to find next week when we dive into the world of tim cook the last of our apple executives yeah and thank you listeners for sticking with us for two shows which could probably have been stretched to four uh (laughs) you know Mike and I, you know, we've given you a, a little sneak peek into what we're thinking about as far as next shows. You can always go to moonshots.io and find our our latest list of past episodes. And we've even got a, you know, a preview list of, of shows to come. We're always looking for your feedback, innovators and companies that you would like us to dive into research and, and profile here on the show. And we love your feedback and ratings on iTunes. You can find all that at moonshots.io. 
Io. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Chad. Thank you to all our listeners. That's the the end of the Steve Jobs series, and we wish you well on your sunrises or your sundowns. Uh, thanks again, and that's a wrap from the Moonshot Podcast. <laughs>